Hello, everybody. Welcome once again. Uh, as we continue on in our study of the New Testament, we've been working through the New Testament a chapter at a time. We're, we're two and a quarter years in, I guess, or better. Um, we're almost through the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 24. We've just got a few more chapters to go after this one, four more, I guess. And uh, um, we've already done the Gospels, Matthew, Mark. Uh, we skipped over Luke, did John, then we did Luke. We're doing Luke and Acts together. I know you've heard this every week, but I want you to know this part, because Luke and Acts were written by Luke, and they were written to Theophilus, which means lover of God. We believe Theophilus was a real person, um, but even if he wasn't, it was written to all the lovers of God, this letter, and so it means it's good for all of us. And that the book of Acts, and I know you've heard me say this too, but it's, it's one of those books that, that I hope really resonates with you, that this is the book um, that, that uh, is all about the church, and that you're connected to it. And that, that while we're not adding to Scripture anymore, the canon is closed, we're not, we're not writing Bible any longer, it's done, the book of Acts, in some level, continues on in us. And, and you continue to, to be the, and do the acts of uh, the disciples that, that we were called to do. And that's what our lives are all about. And, and I like reading about these guys in here because they're as messed up as we are. And uh, God still uses them. And so that means he can still use us. And that even though we mess up and fall short and fail and do all those things, that we keep going back to the importance of just trying to live by doing the next right thing. And really, uh, in, in seeing what the church did, my hope is that it ties in for you all the stuff that we're always talking about, about mission of one more, about seeing the beauty of potential, about dealing with people uh, in, in a in a real way, in an honest way, um, and, and in a loving way, not in a judgmental, critical way, and seeing that, that it's, uh, the church, if they're not careful, comes off just the way the established religious community came off in the book of Acts. They'd lost touch, and they were there only to criticize and condemn and judge, and no one was coming to God any longer, and there was no love being dispensed by the representatives of God, and they had so twisted the truth that, that it, it wasn't truth anymore. And that was the problem. And Jesus comes in to straighten it all out. And, and then as he does that, uh, in the Gospels we see that, then he empowers the church through the whole, and by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit now comes to teach and to lead and to guide and to comfort and to convict and do all the things that he's doing. And, and to help um, the church become uh, the, the community that God intended uh, all along for people to relate to him and relate to others. Now... Um, in the, as best we can in the midst of a fallen and broken world because that's what we got. Uh, and so even when things are going at, and we're doing our very best, we still have a fallen, broken world to deal with. And, and yet we're called to be in the midst of it, just like these guys are. And, and that um, his, his calling on us is to live this thing out. And when we talk about having a mission, it's just like they had. Our mission is one more. We're just trying to get people to Jesus. That's all. That's what. That's ultimately what it's all about. And we've we've sort of discovered that the best way to do that for us is to love the men. Is that we're going to go out of our way to be hospitable and generous, uh, and so we get opportunities to then share the radical message that we have, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that the while it's a very uh, countercultural message now, it's absolutely true, absolutely right, and needs to take place. And so the book of Acts, in many ways, continues in us. 
Now, um, we've, we've looked at the ministries of a lot of the guys throughout the book of Acts already, and I, I know I do a review a lot of time, but I won't uh, tonight. Um, We've sort of been looking now and concentrating on Paul's ministry and how God has used him um, to preach the word to the Gentiles all over the known world and used him to plant churches in many of these places. And, and note that when we move on from here in the book of Acts, all these other epistles and letters of Paul that we're going to read, um, uh, they're, they're written back to the churches that he started to answer questions. And so when you have all this and you hold it in context, the way you've been doing this time, as you read those things, they'll make more sense, I believe. You'll go, oh, well, that's why he wrote that. Because we were just, just reading not that long ago about what was happening while he was there, and this is the situation that came, and this is what Paul says to do about it. And, and so it, it applies to today, but, but you have to apply it to today in context of what he was writing about when he wrote it. And, and that's a very important part of, the, the, the fancy word for that is exegesis. But that's a crazy word, isn't it? Exegesis. Not one that you use in, in regular conversation very often. In fact, I haven't even thought about it in years since I, <laughs> it popped into my brain. You, you have to have that in mind when you, when you try and figure out what the Scripture is saying. So that, that you can hold it in the context from which it comes, and, and then it makes sense. Uh, otherwise, you can kind of take stuff out of context, which happens, and, and which all of us do at some level. But, but at least we can be challenged to hold things in context. And so now, um, Paul's had, his, had three missionary journeys, very successful. The last one was huge in Ephesus, where it actually says that everyone in, in, the, in Asia basically had been impacted by the gospel at some level, had an opportunity either to accept or reject it. And, and, and he had made a huge difference in that particular, in Ephesus in particular, in the three years that he'd been there, almost three years. And uh, he's, um, he had the religious community stirred up there, the established one, because they didn't go along with him, which was normal. And um, now Paul has made his way back to Jerusalem, and he's been arrested um, if you would, in the temple, and there's been these charges trumped up against him, and now he's in this process of sort of um, getting before kings and governors and royalty and Roman politicians, and uh, the things continue to be a mess. And, um, and so, uh, at the last chapter, you remember the commander uh, had sent him, the commander in Jerusalem had sent him uh, to Caesarea, where there was a, a Roman governor named Felix, um, because he, the commander couldn't figure out what was going on, why the people were so mad at Paul. He couldn't get a straight answer. He'd taken him to the Sanhedrin, which was the, the Jewish ruling community, and that had become another chaotic scene. Remember, because Paul said, I'm, I'm here because they're, they're against me because I believe in the resurrection, and it had split the Sanhedrin because half of them believed and half didn't. And, and so the, the Roman commander just said, fine, let's get you out of here because I can't figure out what's going on, and he sends him up the road. So now, as Acts chapter 24 picks up, that's where he's at. He's up there in Caesarea in prison. And uh, he's, uh, he's got a, a time to get before the Felix, the governor. And the high priest is on his way up there uh, from Jerusalem with a lawyer that we're going to introduce you to and some other witnesses. Then they're going to present their case before Felix. And Felix is supposed to make a decision on what's happening, which he doesn't do. <laughs> which happens a lot. They just keep kicking it to somebody else. All right. So that's where we're at. Acts chapter 24, uh, 27 verses, beginning in verse 1 and following. And I'm very happy now because I put all my notes on the iPad, and I have a 22-point font, and I don't need glasses. And it's a very exciting time for me. 
And it can just keep getting bigger at the push of a button. It's amazing. Five days later, the high priest Ananias went down to Caesarea with some of the elders and a lawyer named Tertullus, and they brought their charges against Paul before the governor. When Paul was called in, Tertullus presented his case before Felix. We have enjoyed a long period of peace under you, and your foresight has brought about reforms in this nation. Everywhere and in every way, most excellent Felix, we acknowledge this with profound gratitude. But in order not to weary you further, I would request that you be kind enough to hear us briefly. We have found this man to be a troublemaker, stirring up riots among the Jews all over the world. He is a ringleader of the Nazarene sect and even tried to desecrate the temple, so we seized him. By examining him yourself, you'll be able to learn the truth about all these charges we are bringing against him. The Jews joined in the accusation, asserting that these things were true. And when the governor motioned for him to speak, Paul replied, I know that for a number of years you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. You can easily verify that no more than 12 days ago I went up to Jerusalem to worship. My accusers did not find me arguing with anyone at the temple or stirring up a crowd in the synagogues or anywhere else in the city. And they cannot prove to you the charge they are now making against me. However, I admit that I worship the God of our fathers as a follower of the way, which they call a sect. I believe everything that agrees with the law and that is written in the prophets. And I have the same hope in God as these men, that there will be a resurrection of both the righteous and the wicked. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear. Sorry. It's a little problem is that I pushed a button that I shouldn't have. But it's all good now. So I strive always to keep my conscience clear before God and men. After an absence of several years, I came to Jerusalem to bring my people gifts uh, for the poor and to present offerings. I was ceremonial clean when they found me in the temple courts doing this. There was no crowd with me, nor was I involved in any disturbance. But there are some Jews from the province of Asia who ought to be here before you and bring charges if they have anything against me. <clears throat> or these who are here should state what crime they found in me when I stood before the Sanhedrin unless it was this one thing as I shouted as I stood in their presence. It is concerning the resurrection of the dead that I am on trial before you today. Then Felix, who was well acquainted with the way, adjourned the proceedings. When Lysias the commander comes, he said, I will decide your case. He ordered the centurion to keep Paul under guard, but to give him some freedom and permit his friends to take care of his needs. Several days later, Felix came with his wife, uh, Drusilla, who was a Jewess. He sent for Paul and listened to him as he spoke about faith in Christ Jesus. As Paul discoursed on righteousness, self-control, and the judgment to come, Felix was afraid and said, That's enough for now, you may leave. When I find it convenient, I will send for you. At the same time, he was hoping that Paul would offer him a bribe, so he sent for him frequently and talked with him. When two years had passed, Felix was succeeded by Portius Festus, but because Felix wanted to grant a favor to the Jews, he left Paul in prison, and blessed be the word of the Lord. Okay, so um, here's another sort of trial scenario, and uh, it, it really doesn't end up with Paul being much further along than when he started, which seems to happen, and the reason for that is he hasn't done anything wrong, and everybody keeps wanting to pass the buck because they know he hasn't done anything wrong, they're not sure what to do about it. Felix has the same problem. Let me tell you about Felix. Felix is not a good guy. Historically, they know that um, uh, Felix was um, very oppressive 
He was very violent in taking care of problems. He used a lot of excessive force. And that's how he dealt with things. And so that was Governor Felix. And he didn't last very long. Um, really, he wasn't at his post very long before he gets replaced by the next guy who comes in, Festus. And uh, um, I think of Felix and Festus, and for some reason I think of the Adams family. Does that anybody happen? And I don't know why. I needed to get that out of my mind so I could continue on in this process. I don't know if they were in the Adams family, but it sounds like they should be. Was there a Felix? Well, there wasn't. A Festus? Festus, whatever. Okay, so, um, and, and first verse, the big setup is this, that Caesarea is about 30 miles away from Jerusalem, and the high priest actually comes. They've hired an attorney named Tertullus, and they bring a bunch of other witnesses with them, apparent witnesses, and they head down to Caesarea to press charges against Paul in front of Felix. And so um, the lawyer, um, who would have been a, an orator, a public speaker, I think probably they realized that they were no match for Paul. And so they figured they'd better bring in a pro. And this guy really lays it on thick in the first uh, verses, in verses 2 through 4. He spends as much time on his introduction as he does on the actual charges. And, and he just talks about how great Felix is and how much they appreciate him and how much he's done and what a wonderful guy he is. And I just told you, none of that's true. It's an absolute lie. He's just laying it out there and, and, and putting this flattery on there. Uh, and, and trying to gain, you know, whatever favor they can from this guy. And then he proceeds in verses 5 through 8 with the charges, and the charges are three. Um, that Paul is a worldwide troublemaker. Isn't that fascinating? You know, it really, it really hasn't had that many years to do what he's doing. To impact, it's another guy that's impacted the world at the time pretty significantly was Paul. Because... That was his reputation by these guys. This guy is a worldwide troublemaker. He stirs up riots wherever he goes. Now, it's really not... Paul really doesn't do any of it. He just preaches the gospel. But it does have the appearance at times that things get pretty stirred up. But it's not Paul doing it. Paul's just telling the truth. He's just loving on people. He's just telling them about Jesus. Problems stir up to the point... And I guess, you know, if you're going to be, if you're going to catch a label for Jesus, worldwide troublemaker is pretty good, isn't it? I bet, I bet, I bet Jesus got him when, yeah! I don't know. That's just mere speculation on my part. Um, they also say that he's the leader of a sect and, uh, and that he attempted to desecrate the temple. Now, the, the first two charges about being a worldwide troublemaker and leader of a sect are, are, are presented to try and get him in trouble with Rome. For this reason, Rome, big thing was keeping things in order. See, Rome had conquered most of the known world, and they were tasked with keeping it peaceful enough so they could get their money out of the deal. That was what they did. See, it was all money. They went in, conquered these places. Then they, I told you, they left the governments pretty much intact to deal with their own people, but now taxes had to be paid to Rome, to Caesar, and, and these smaller countries didn't have armies standing anymore. The Roman soldiers came in, and they kept the peace. And, and so that's what happened, and that's what Rome did all over the known world. And so the idea of a worldwide troublemaker would get Rome's attention. They didn't want any trouble, any more than they had to deal with. And so that was one way of trying to get him trouble with Rome. 
The second thing about being the leader of a sect um, was this. The Romans allowed existing religions to continue after they occupied a country. If there was a, an established religion or religions in place, they let them be established. But what they didn't allow was any new ones to start. That was against the law. They wouldn't, they wouldn't put up with it. And so what, what the Jewish people were trying to say at the time, that lawyer was trying to say, was that, um, this, that, that this whole thing was a sect. It, was a, it, was, it didn't come out of where they were coming out of, trying to get it shut down. And Paul will defend that by saying, well, we'll look at that in a minute. It's not true. And then the, the last charge um, was interesting because the Romans had given the, the Sanhedrin the ability to deal with crimes inside the temple. And, and so they were pushing back for the fact, hey, listen, he desecrated our temple. Really, we want him back. We're going to deal with it. Um, and it shouldn't ever come this, this direction anyway. Um, which is a slight change in the charges, because remember, in the Sanhedrin, they'd said he'd brought a Gentile in the temple, which wasn't true. That they could have really dealt with right away. Um, but, but that wasn't the case. So they, they altered the charges a little. However, um, all of the charges were false. And not one of them was true. And, and they weren't even presented in anything close to the truth. I mean, because they had never actually seized Paul. They, a riot started, and we'll get to this in a minute again, but remember the riot, Paul didn't start the riot. The, the Jewish leaders from Ephesus started the riot. Um, the Jewish leaders never arrested or seized Paul. The Roman commander came in and whipped him out of there so he would be safe because they were trying to kill him on the spot. And, and so none of it was true. And Paul hadn't, Paul hadn't done anything wrong. He hadn't stirred anything up. He hadn't done anything. And so not, a, not one of the charges was true that was levied against him. And then in verses 9 and 10, the religious leaders who had accompanied Ananias and Tertullus all agree to these charges that they're true. Now, do you catch the irony, again, that the community that's supposed to represent God and that the biggest ten of the God commands, you know them, are the Ten Commandments. What about the one that says, Thou shalt not bear false witness? Do you get how far they'd moved away from truth? It wasn't about truth to them at all anymore. It wasn't about God to them at all anymore. It was about something completely different. And, and it, they had been skewed so far that they didn't care about the truth. They just wanted what they wanted and do it in their way. And um, again, it's an ever-present reminder to us as the church not to move down in that direction. We've got to be so careful. It's so easy to do. And think you're doing it for the right reasons. And see, I'm sure these guys, they were so off by now, they thought they were doing it for the right reasons. And yet, they, they just missed it. Remember, they, they just missed God completely 20 years before, who'd shown up. The one they'd been waiting for showed up. And they, no, we don't like the way you look. That was the deal, guys. I mean, do you get it? The, the, the absolute deal was... Yeah, we see you doing all this God stuff. We know it has to be God, but we don't like your message. We don't like how you're doing it. And so we're done with you. And so th that's what happened. So this is, you know, irony is, is, is pictured in the religious leaders telling bold-faced lies to try and make this move along. So in verse 10, um, the governor Felix says to Paul and says, okay, your turn. 
Um, why don't you speak? And um, Paul's introduction is much shorter and it's truthful. Compared to the lawyer's introduction who was all flowery, Paul just says, I know that for a number of years, this is verse 10, you have been a judge over this nation, so I gladly make my defense. That's it. That's it. I mean, do you get how that's honest, right? Because he knows he's a bad guy. And, and he goes, look, you're the judge of the nation. I get it. Here we go. This is my defense. And, and his defense is simple and true. Uh, he says, this is verse 11, 16, look, I wasn't in Jerusalem even long enough to start a riot. I was only there. I only got there 12 days ago, and he's been up here for a while and in prison half the time. And, in, you know, he said, I just showed up in town. I wasn't there long enough to start a riot. Um, no one, you couldn't find anybody, he said, that would say I'd started a riot, because it's not true. Um, and then he says, look, I'm not in a sect. I'm a Christian, uh, which was known at the way, and that the, his hope in the resurrection was shared by the accusers that he had, by which Paul was saying, look, this whole thing is an outgrowth of the Old Testament anyway. It's not some strange new thing. Um, it's what's supposed to happen. And so he, he gives these... Uh, these comments in those first few verses. Um, Luke makes a statement through recording what Paul says in 17, in that on the reason that Paul was even there, and remember, it's only we know why Paul went because of the other letters, but Luke hadn't really mentioned it, but Paul was desperate to get Jerusalem to bring this offering that he'd collected from all the Gentile churches. To him, it was a huge thing, that the, it was because it, it, it demonstrated the unity of the church, Gentile and Jew. So he was desperate to get this offering there, and he got it there. And, and he says, I brought, you know, I just came back. I haven't been here for years because you guys told me not to come. But I had to bring this offering to help the poor and the church. And so I did. And he said, and then I just went into the temple because I still love God and it's all good. And he said, that's when everything sort of caused problems from there. And then he, he says in verses 18 through 21, I love this. He says, look, the, the people who caused the problem in the first place were the religious leaders out of Ephesus who aren't even here, and they're the ones that started the riot. And it's true. It wasn't Paul. It was these guys who'd come from Ephesus who came to stir up trouble, stirred it up. And then Paul says, look, I've already been in front of the Sanhedrin. They couldn't find anything against me. And so his defense was, none of these charges are true. Absolutely nothing is true that the high priest and Tertullus is saying to you today. None of them were legitimate. So, Felix, then, is in this position, see, and it's a political position. Because you get the sense that Felix is pretty confident that Paul's innocent. And yet, he's, he's concerned that if he, he just turns Paul loose, he's going to end up having trouble in Jerusalem that he doesn't want to have to deal with. And so he doesn't want to make a ruling right now. So, what he says is, okay, listen, what I'm going to do is, uh, we're going to bring that commander up here, Lysias, and he can tell me what happened, you know, because he'd already sent a letter. But let me get him up here in person, and then I'll make a ruling. In effect, what he was saying was, I'm not dealing with it. <laughs> and this will make the high priest leave. And he kept, Paul, uh, he kept Paul sort of in prison, but with a lot of freedom, whatever freedom looks like. But he was under the care of a centurion, but his friends could come and go. And, and I, I, you know, he wasn't chained or anything. He was in some sort of, you know... Uh, it's like wearing one of them ankle bracelets at home. Let's put it that way. Uh, that's about all I can compare it to, okay? So, you know, not the best situation, but there are worse things, right? 
Because remember, he'd been in prison. In Philippi, he was in prison and he was in chains. Man to the guards all the time. Not a good situation. So anyway, th- that's the situation. And uh, so he's got a certain amount of freedom, it says, under the centurion. And then Felix, who we know isn't a very good guy, um, but he, ke- he sends for Paul... And, and Paul's preaching the gospel to him, and at one point he's talking about righteousness and stuff, and, and it, it says Felix doesn't, Felix gets convicted. What happens is Felix gets really convicted, because he knows he's not a good guy, and he's done a lot of stuff that he shouldn't have done. And so he tells Paul, okay, Paul, that's enough. <laughs> and he sends him back. But over the next couple of years, he has him come pretty regularly, says he's open for a bribe, and he was a bad guy, he probably was, because Paul, you know, Paul just brought a bunch of money up, and he knew that he could probably get some money from the churches, but Paul's not going to bribe him to get out. And so that happens, and then um, uh, he keeps him in prison, and then he's about to lose his job anyway because he wasn't a very good governor, and the new governors come in, so really all he does is he just keeps Paul in prison so he doesn't have to make a ruling, and it sort of placates the Jewish leaders for the time being. And Paul's there. What's Paul going to do? And, and then he steps out of the picture. And Acts 25 picks up the drama from there. And it's a new set of people. And the same charges going nowhere. And that's kind of 25. And then he's going to send, they're going to send him to Rome here at some point. And then Luke just kind of, wait till you get to the end of the book. He just sort of shuts it down. It's kind of interesting. All right. But that's that chapter, and that's enough for today. If you're watching my video on the Internet, thanks for watching. God bless you guys. If you need anything, you can call us, write us. We'll do whatever we can for you. Um, And we're going to close here today with prayer. So you can turn off the video. If you have prayer requests here, you can pass them up to me 